Amid the rustic beauty of rural Idaho, a retired school teacher vanished. But even though he was missing, his bills were paid on time, and he continued to correspond with his family. But they couldn't contact him. Making this one of the most bizarre missing persons cases in U.S. history. For 22 years, the most popular teacher at Incline High School near Lake Tahoe, Nevada, was Paul Gruber. It was his passion for travel that fueled his love of foreign languages. He loved that he could go to these places and speak their language, and he emphasized that very much. That one of the main benefit of learning a foreign language is that traveling the world, you could take care of yourself. Yeah, I went to Mexico with him in my junior year of high school. And that was fun. We went dancing, and that was kind of embarrassing, <laughs> but we had a good time. When he was in his early 50s, Paul Gruber inherited some money and retired from teaching. He moved to Sandpoint, Idaho, and bought a home on the shores of Muskrat Lake. He just liked that slow pace. When I actually saw Sandpoint, I could see why he liked it. It was, you know, it has the same Lake Tahoe feel. Shortly after Christmas in 1993, Paul sent his three-year-old grandson a birthday card, as was his custom. But his daughter noticed immediately that this card was different from all the others. It was a really brief note and wasn't very affectionate, but it wasn't sitting right with me. I mean, there was just red flag inside. You know, something wasn't right. I pulled out old birthday cards and started comparing writing, and it didn't look like his signature to me, you know. Shelley left phone messages for her father at his home in Idaho. Uncharacteristically, he didn't return them. So Shelley called the local police department, asking them to check on her father's welfare. The detectives found no one home and no evidence of a break-in, but virtually everything inside was gone. There was a total absence of personal items, clothing, toothbrush, hairbrush, nothing. Just totally vacant. Like no one had lived there or someone had rented the house. Shelley decided to set a trap she left a bogus message on her father's answering machine reminding him not to forget her husband's birthday. Can you please send the money that we had discussed? I think it was just uh, something that she made up to see what would happen. Five days later, her father sent Shelley's husband a birthday card and a $25 check. She knew that her dad had never promised to send a check for her husband, and I don't think it was even his birthday. And so that certainly let her believe that something had happened to her dad. An Idaho State Police forensic document examiner compared the handwriting on the check and envelope to Paul Gruber's known handwriting samples. When the handwriting analysis came back, the examiner felt that it was Gruber's handwriting. Paul's family, however, didn't believe it. It didn't look like his signature to me. My husband agreed that it didn't look like his writing. So I think that's when I started making some more calls. Police checked Paul's financial transactions and discovered that he had been paying his monthly bills on time and was using his ATM card around town for cash. 
Strangely, none of the ATMs got a picture of the person using the card. None of the ATMs used had a camera, not one. So we found that to be a little bit odd. Was this merely a coincidence? And if Paul was all right, where was he living? And why didn't he return his family's telephone calls? Shelley Kepley was convinced that something sinister had happened to her father, Paul Gruber. On a hunch, Shelley called the post office in Sandpoint, Idaho, and asked them who was picking up her father's mail from his post office box. A security camera provided a partial answer. Unfortunately, somebody probably knocked it askew so that all we got was a silhouette of the person who entered in and went into his post office box. The silhouette wasn't Paul Gruber. To some people in town, it looked like 43-year-old Daryl Kuehl, a local handyman who had been doing work for Paul. A comparison between the silhouette and Kuehl's picture confirmed it. Kuehl, from what we could tell, had lived in California and possibly Washington, had a large family, wife, and six, seven kids. Kuehl admitted he had been picking up Paul's mail. He said Paul asked him to before leaving for a trip to Canada. Investigators showed Kuehl a photograph of Paul Gruber. And incredibly, Kuehl didn't recognize him. He said this wasn't the Paul Gruber he knew. Somebody pretended to be Paul Gruber to Daryl Kuehl, hired Daryl Kuehl to be a caretaker. So we asked him if he would provide us with a, you know, an artist sketch, police sketch of, of the person. Investigators took Kuehl's description and keyed that information into a computer program called CompuSketch. I'm entering the answers that they provide to the question. And so the computer, with those answers, generates that sketch. Then Kuehl provided feedback on the first image to improve the likeness. I want to change one item at a time. That way, if it's the nose that's the problem, we can pinpoint the nose. Or if the eyes don't match the nose, we can pinpoint that. Could be average hour to two hours to go through it. When finished, police released this composite sketch to the media, hoping to find the man who had assumed Paul Gruber's identity. But no one called. Months went by, and there was still no sign of the real Paul Gruber either. We still didn't know where Gruber was at. We hadn't located him. We weren't even sure that anything had happened to this man. Police continued to keep a close eye on Paul's house and searched the property repeatedly, even using cadaver dogs. But something inside the house bothered Detective Sergeant Valdez. A small rug in the foyer had been glued to the floor. That just drove me crazy. I couldn't figure out why anybody would glue a rug to the hardwood floor. That's crazy. My wife would kill me if I did something like that. So we tore it up. Under the rug, investigators found a small gouge in the wooden floor. 
It looked like a bullet had ricocheted and hit the floor. Tests of the wood were positive for the presence of lead. Police used luminol and discovered there had been blood on the floor near the bullet mark and elsewhere. We started spraying up the door, and you could see white marks about halfway up the door. I mean, they stand out. If you use bleach or anything else, they stick out real well. DNA testing proved that the blood was Paul Gruber's. But where was the body? We don't have a body. We can't prove the man's dead. Daryl Kuehl, a 43-year-old handyman, said this man identified himself as Paul Gruber and hired him to take care of the Gruber property while he went away on vacation. This man was obviously an imposter. And no one had heard from the real Paul Gruber for months. They continue on with the investigation. The number one thing that they're looking for is a body, trying to figure out where uh, the body of Paul Gruber is. As for Daryl Kuehl, he was well-respected in the community and had no criminal record. However, a search of his finances showed he recently deposited over $20,000 into his checking account. At the same time, there were similar withdrawals from Paul Gruber's account. Kuehl admitted transferring Paul's money into his checking account so that he could pay Paul's bills. None of that, to me, rang true. I have a lot of friends. I don't have any friends that are, you know, I'm going to go out and pay their bills for them at five, $600 a whack uh, that I just met. The only evidence detectives had were the birthday cards and checks Paul Gruber sent to his family while missing. A forensic document examiner concluded that the handwriting on those birthday cards was consistent with the real Paul Gruber's known handwriting samples. Paul's family disagreed. I was absolutely persuaded that it wasn't. So it's hard when you got experts saying, yes, it is. And you're like, no, it's not. So the materials were sent to another forensic examiner for a second opinion. Once I knew what his signature looked like, what his subconscious characteristics were, then I took some of the question material, looked at it, and it didn't take long to see if it was counterfeit or if it was valid. The most striking part of the examination was the writing of the letter P. Paul Gruber consistently had a large loop in this letter, yet in the question documents, the P's were different. The loops weren't as well formed. They were completely missing or they were elongated. Floberg also noticed that Paul Gruber wrote his M's and N's much differently than those in the question document. He concluded that Paul Gruber did not write these documents. The signatures did look pretty close to the victims. I believe a lot of practice had gone into duplicating the victim's signatures. His downfall, however, was that there's a lot more writing that goes into a birthday card and an address. Next, Floberg analyzed Daryl Kuehl's handwriting to see if he had written the checks and birthday cards. 
he noticed that Kuehl used the same closed loop on the capital P and other capital letters. And Kuehl wrote his Fs in virtually the same way as the question document. No matter how much time you have to practice writing, it's so hard to duplicate the writing of another that Mr. Kuehl was conclusively the writer of the forged checks and birthday cards and addressed the envelopes. Investigators searched Daryl Kuehl's property and found some incriminating evidence. We found a hidden door upstairs and found military-type dark camouflage-type clothing, throwing stars, a katana, which is a big sword. It just didn't fit with Daryl Kuehl, the family man, father, Mormon, good Mormon-type person. They also found power tools, furniture, even a boat, which were all identified as belonging to Paul Gruber. We found a small suitcase or briefcase that had his Sunday go-to-meeting clothes in it and a large butcher knife. And that really seemed strange. And in the middle of it all was Paul, one of Paul Gruber's power bills. But most alarming was a 22 caliber handgun with a homemade silencer. Silencers are illegal because they can alter the ballistic evidence. The microscopic characteristics which are imparted to the bullet by the barrel itself are usually obliterated by a missile line silencer. Very, very difficult and rare to identify a bullet with the barrel of a weapon who has had a, uh, which has had a silencer device attached. And detectives still didn't have Paul Gruber's body. Eighteen months after Paul Gruber disappeared, investigators searched his house yet again. This time, in a basement crawl space, they found a shallow depression that wasn't there before. The ground had apparently settled. We worked for two days. We sifted every five-gallon bucket full of dirt. We went square by square, a couple of feet at each square in a pattern. We finally exposed what appeared to be an air mattress and eventually confirmed that there was a body inside. The body was identified as Paul Gruber. He had been shot four times. The medical examiner removed several 22 caliber bullets from Gruber's body. But they didn't match test fires from Daryl Kuehl's 22 caliber handgun or his silencer, which can impart its own characteristics on the bullet. Any slight change in the positioning of that silencer relative to the weapon will cause the bullet to strike different parts of the silencer from shot to shot. And once that occurs, uh, you're not going to make an identification. Nevertheless, investigators had more than enough evidence to charge Daryl Kuehl with murder. Kuehl's first order of business was to plan his escape. An inmate testified that Daryl Kuehl had offered him money and a car to kill the prison transport officers who were taking Daryl back. This person was getting out of jail before Daryl was going to be transported. 
$5,000 for me and $5,000 for Harvey and $5,000 for Howard. We thought we were going pretty cheap there. Kuehl thought he'd soon be a free man, but the investigators knew better. The two officers were actually doing the transport. They said, Gerald, we know about your plot, that you're going to have us killed. Those guys uh, turned state's evidence, and they said that he was just crushed at that point. Prosecutors believe Daryl Kuehl orchestrated an elaborate plan to kill Paul Gruber and steal his money. This was a crime motivated by greed. Paul Gruber had things that Daryl Kuehl wanted. He needed more money. And six kids, seven kids, however many he had. That's a lot of groceries. Apparently, Paul Gruber hired Daryl Kuehl for handyman work around the house and soon gained his confidence. Sometime after Christmas, prosecutors believe Kuehl went to Paul's home, armed with his 22 caliber handgun, and shot him four times. One bullet missed, ricocheted off the floor, leaving a gouge in the wood. Luminol tests show that he dragged Paul's body into the crawl space, wrapped him in plastic, and buried him underneath his own house. Kuehl cleaned the blood from the floor and glued the rug over the gouge created when the bullet ricocheted. With Paul dead, Kuehl now had unfettered access to Paul's records, his ATM card, his PIN number, his checks, his social security number. He had everything he needed to assume Paul's identity. He started writing checks in Paul's name and withdrawing money from his accounts. His handwriting may have fooled one document examiner, but it didn't fool Paul's daughter, who knew right away it wasn't her father's handwriting. She set a trap by leaving some inaccurate information about her husband's birthday on her father's answering machine. Kuehl fell right into the trap, sending the birthday card on the wrong date. It was a takeover homicide where the suspect took over the life of the victim. Financial matters tried to keep the persona of the victim alive so that he could extract more funds from the victim. At his trial, Daryl Kuehl insisted he was innocent. He denied signing Paul's name on his checks and sending the birthday cards to Paul's family. He pointed to the opinion of the first forensic document examiner as proof. So what did prosecutors do? They asked scientists to swab the back of the stamp on the birthday cards. And they found saliva. Its DNA matched Daryl Kuehl. There was roughly a million people in Idaho, so when you have a one in a million on a DNA, uh, that tells you that if everybody in Idaho is in the same room, this is still the only person it could be. After a three-week trial, Kuehl was convicted of first-degree murder, grand theft, and forgery. He was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. At first, we're skeptical. The handwriting tells us, don't be skeptical, keep digging. 
Later on, we find evidence of blood have confirmed for us that yes, you have blood here. Yes, you probably have a crime scene putting us on the right track. And uh, lastly, uh, the DNA. I think that's the nail in the coffin right there.